0: Welcome to the
1: MarTech Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to discuss why mobile is still the first and most important screen. Joining us is Gabrielle Heyman, who is the head of global brand partnerships at Zenga, which is a global leader in interactive entertainment with a mission to connect the world through games. With a massive global reach in more than 175 countries and regions, Zenga has a diverse portfolio of popular game franchises. have been downloaded more than 4 billion times on mobile devices, and their list of games includes Farmville, Harry Potter, Words with Friends, and Zynga Poker. So far this week, Gabrielle and I have talked about the mobile gaming advertising industry. We talked about why mobile is the first screen in mobile gaming, and today we're going to talk about hyper-casual gaming and why it's marketing's secret weapon. All right, here's the last part of my conversation with Gabrielle Heyman, the head of Global Brand Partnerships at Zynga. Gabriel, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast.
2: It's good to be here.
1: Always exciting to have you on the podcast. And today we're going to get down to it. We've talked about the gaming landscape. We talked about how the gaming industry thinks about the different devices. We talked a little bit about segmentation. We should probably talk about marketing some point in this week as this is a marketing podcast. You've got this philosophy that hyper-casual gaming is a marketer's secret weapon. Let's start off by defining hyper casual gaming and then let's talk about why it's important to marketers.
2: So, yeah, people have been listening to this conversation the past couple of days. We talked about how there's different games, there's games on mobile, there's games on other platforms, and within the casual gaming segment on mobile, there has risen this new subgenre called hyper casual. And we were defining before, like most console games are a little more detailed and complicated to get into as compared to mobile. Mobile casual games are a little easier to learn, though extremely captivating and people spend hours upon hours playing them. So this other genre has cropped up and they're even easier to play. So there's literally almost zero friction in learning the game or it's a game that could be learned in five seconds and you're just hopping in, you're getting it and you're having fun. But what's really fascinating about this is that if you look at the top hits globally, a lot of them are coming from the hyper casual space. So if you looked at like the app Annie charts from 2021 in the US and worldwide from every single geo top 10 games globally, hyper casual probably had half of the list. And our hyper-casual studio specifically had probably three out of the top 10 in multiple geos.
1: So give me some examples of popular casual gaming and popular hyper-casual gaming.
2: So casual gaming, we're talking Words with Friends, Zynga Poker, Candy Crush, Dragon City, there's so many of these games that are out there that are in the casual category fruit
1: ninjas also a very popular one in the shapiro household
2: we love fruit ninja too and so hyper casual games fill the fridge hair challenge high heels money rush there's literally hundreds of these titles and there's more than just what i've said so some of the other markers about these titles one of the really fascinating things that makes them so different is they're a lot faster to make and they make a lot more of them than casual games. And they're doing testing and they're buying ads, they're seeing what's resonating with audiences. And the ones that are really taking off, they're doubling down on spending more UA against and building out the game to be like a richer game and a longer game. So it's quite literally the way that they Published games is extremely different from casual or console. And then lastly, I would say what's extra fascinating as well is that there's a really symbiotic relationship between TikTok and hyper-casual. So what we're seeing is that a lot of hyper-casual games are going super viral on TikTok. They're resonating with communities and there's a ton of content being created around them. And then on the other side, like our hyper casual studio is creating a lot of games that are based on TikTok trends. So for example, right now, one of the top games in the app store is called Fill the Fridge. It's one of our titles from our hyper casual studio, Rollick. And it's inspired by, you know, those TikTok videos where it's people organizing their fridge and they're like super soothing and they have this like gorgeous, perfect fridge and they're putting the yogurt away perfectly. They're taking the string cheese out of the plastic packaging. They're putting it in these gorgeous, clear containers. And like everything is absolutely organized and perfect. Well, we created a game that's basically like that. And it's literally one of the top games right now.
1: Oh my God, it's like my OCD is just firing hearing about this. I'm not a TikTokist or a TikToker, tiki tick I don't, I don't use TikTok. But I understand how that sort of like interesting content can dovetail into do-it-yourself.
2: You don't use TikTok, but you use Instagram. It's
1: like a poor man's version of TikTok now.
2: All due respect to Meta, they're basically taking so much TikTok content and just throwing it on onto Instagram. Yeah. Lately on my Instagram, I've been saying, stop sending me suggested posts because I don't really need my Instagram to look like TikTok. I wanted to see my friends and do what I used to do on Instagram. But regardless, I don't know how old your kids are, but... I have a lot of my consumption through my kids of TikTok.
1: I'm sure I will get into TikTok at some point. Let's talk a little bit about the marketing here. This idea of hyper-casual games, anybody can play them. Low barrier to entry. They're easy to spin up. Lots of titles, lots of different content. Huge. Damn, your total addressable market is gigantic because it's anybody with a mobile phone. So you can buy ads to get people to download and install these games, and it's easy for them to get started. Talk to me about the life cycle of these games. Do they end up sticking around? So when you are investing your marketing dollars into these, do you go and buy a popular game? Do you buy through an ad network and just get coverage of all the games? How do you think about the life cycle of these games and how does that impact how people should target their marketing against them?
2: So at the dawn of hyper casual, when it started taking off, I think that the retention in a lot of these games was not very high. So you would play, you would like it for like three days or a week, and then you would kind of pop off and download the next hyper casual title.
1: Fill the fridge, organize your closets, do the garage, take out the trash. <laughs> Go on. <laughs>
2: well, so far we've done filling the fridge and then we did fill the makeup drawer. So those are the two categories that we've done so far with that one. Anyway, as time continued, and as the developers got more sophisticated, I think, with making content from these games, so what's so interesting is that basically the net net is these games ended up having a lot more retention, a lot more life cycle, and have really become part of live services. So at Zynga, the way that we look at games that are out is they're live services. So all of our games, we're programming them with what we call bold beats, which is really just content to continue to have a flow of exciting things to do in game. So it's always new, it's always different, even though it's the same game. And I think that what's interesting is that our hyper casual studio really learned a lot from how we operate our live services within our casual portfolio. And so those hyper casual games are now having bold beads and adding new content and the retention is getting a lot longer and the lifespan of hyper casual games are getting a lot longer. And at the same time, our casual suite of games has learned a lot from our hyper casual suite in terms of the volume of developing and how they test in the marketplace. So it's really cool to see these two genres learn from each other. But for brands, you can go to an SSPN network like Iron Source and you can get across a lot of games, obviously working with them. I'm a really big advocate of also going direct, especially with a company like a Zynga where we have probably a hundred plus titles. So we are essentially like our own network. We also save the best for our direct clients, of course, but we've had a lot of sponsorships in these hyper-casual titles. So we're integrating people, not just video and rewarded video and display and banner, we're doing integrations that we found to be highly effective as well.
1: I guess that's really the big question here is as a marketer, okay, great. I understand that people are adopting these games. They're relatively sticky. It's a wonderful way to be able to hop on a trend that is budding and you can go direct to the game manufacturers and do some sort of an integration. Are you doing a sponsorship where you're just putting your brand in front of the gamer? Are you building in sort of an interactive component into the game? Is it advertising? What are the marketing hooks that you have in these hyper-casual games?
2: It's pretty deep. There's a lot of these games and there's a lot of different types of gameplay. For example, we have a whole fashion beauty suite. So we have a game called Hair Challenge where your goal is to make your hair as long as possible and you're walking down an obstacle course basically and trying not to get it cut. We have another game called High Heels, where your goal is to get as high of a heel as possible. So you're stacking your heels, stacking your heel, and you're going through this obstacle course.
1: Sounds terrible for your back, but go on.
2: Right. Well, it's virtual, so it's okay. So (laughs) we have done a lot of very fun sponsorships in these games. We did an integration with an insurance company. You know, insurance companies, every single one of them seem to have the same marketing formula in terms of having like a character that is like the spokesperson for the insurance company. So we integrated this spokes character. What we found was that we actually converted, their metric was converting insurance quotes. And we had a, like a 20% lift in completed insurance quotes with not a clickable unit there. It was all like a 30 day look back of people going to the site and getting insurance quotes.
1: An awareness brand campaign.
2: Right, that had kind of performance results because there was their metric of a finished insurance quote. Mm -hmm. I think that what we found with this genre, and we've also done stuff for fashion and we've also done stuff for entertainment. So we've had multiple, and we're about to launch several campaigns in the beauty category and the finance category. So what we found that's really super fascinating is that these hyper-casual gamers are hyper-engager consumers. It's like these people are fast to download games, fast to like look up information about content, to buy things from seeing ads. They go to more movies. They have more streaming services. They buy more crypto. They have more Oculus. They have more console games. They're more likely to be parents and to play games with their kids. Like they are like they're living life to the fullest is that you were talking about segmentation. That's the segmentation of that audience. What frustrates me as a marketer, and I'll kind of end it with this, is that there's a huge, overweighted fascination with the metaverse right now in terms of every single conference and all the CMOs, like what's our metaverse strategy? And you mentioned in another podcast about our habits of being the shiny object. As marketers, we always want the shiny object. And it seems that metaverse is a shiny object, but they're kind of leapfrogged over hyper casual which is such an important consumer trend and so effective so it's got the reach it's got the great young audience and it's super effective so i spend a lot of my time evangelizing around that
1: so last question i have for you you're the head of global brand partnerships so who are the people that are partnering with the game studios like zynga is this all consumer packaged good companies that have millions of dollars of marketing budgets is it the early stage startups that are putting a hundred dollars into testing marketing in a hyper casual game in a marketplace how do you think about who this type of marketing works for and i guess the real brass tacks question is what are the types of budgets that you need to be able to effectively test this channel of marketing
2: Our client mix is really the top 200 ad spenders in the US or globally. So it's everyone from tech, telco, CPG, retail, entertainment, automotive. I mean, it's the who's who and who you would assume it would be. Definitely not the $100 startup bidder. That's not what my team does. My team focuses on really big brand campaigns. So The costs are malleable. There's two ways people are approaching this. One is with programmatic dollars. So we're seeing a lot of clients buy video display banners in the space programmatically, and then all the way to the other side of the spectrum, which is these deep integrations and 360 programs and sponsorships. So we do everything in between. We also do custom playables. We have a studio dedicated to making games for brands where we gamify their brands and we put these games inside of our ad units. They're called playables. So, I mean, in terms of the budget, really, It could be 100,000 and it could be a million. It just depends how immersive, how long, how many uniques, what the game is. So they vary, but the easiest form of entry is to be in there with media, which this brings us back to the very first conversation we had, which is this is mass market entertainment. And just like TV has ads, games have ads. And so we serve great video content inside of our games and so a lot of companies are doing that with their programmatic media
1: Well, Gabrielle, we started this week saying congratulations, you're doing your first podcast. You've now done three of them. I think that this is a fascinating channel of medium. I did not think of mobile gaming, A, as being part of the entertainment segment, thinking about how mobile for you is small screen first, but the second screen is actually the television. And the idea of the advertising integrating into these casual games and having this huge TAM and being able to target and do deep integrations makes a lot of sense for marketers that are trying to address a big market. I appreciate you coming on the show and being our guest and doing your first podcast here.
2: I'm excited. Thank you for having me on my first one. Hopefully this will be one of many more.
1: All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech podcast. Thanks to Gabrielle Heyman, the head of Global Brand Partnerships at Zynga, for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Gabrielle, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is Gab Heyman, that's G-A-B-H-E-Y-M-A-N. Or you could visit her company's website. It is, for the marketers out there, ZyngaAds.com, Z-Y-N-G-A-A-D-S.com. Or you can go to Zynga.com if you're interested in gaming. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. -J Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P.